Welcome to the Out of the Deep End podcast. On the show today, we are seeking to understand how you perceive your world and how your perception of the world changes everything. I am Dr. JC Burnham. Give me just a few minutes and together we'll make a difference. Something really interesting I saw on VeryWellMind.com. Looking at the pandemic and looking at how things have changed over the last couple of days or couple of years, I should say, um, what are our greatest worries, our greatest concerns? And they found that there were some differences between um, different generations. But in general, here are the top reasons that we uh, are not sure about the the future. Um, And it's interesting, they broke them down into percentages also. So 4% of the respondents said that they are worried about an asteroid or a meteor impact. 5% said a loss of biodiversity. Six, a role of Artificial intelligence, maybe um, taking over the world, or um, maybe they're taking people's jobs. 7% said some kind of electrical grid malfunction. I guess if you lived in Texas um, during the last winter, that might certainly be heavy on your mind. 9% said an increased digital surveillance. So Big Brother watching over us. 12% worsening air quality. And that certainly has been a mainstay for quite a while. 12% also said a cyber attack. So uh, warfare, maybe not just planes, boats, bombs, but the the ability to use cyber attacking to take down the the, uh, internet, to infiltrate into businesses and shut down businesses. We've seen a lot of ransomware. So... That certainly makes sense to me. How about 13% is still saying the use of nuclear weapons? We, it's easy to forget the nuclear weapons and the number of nuclear weapons that we have out there, but certainly that could be a cause for concern. 14% clean water shortages. 20% food shortages and famine. 25% natural disasters. Certainly anybody who has survived a hurricane or tornado or earthquake, a volcano, it seems that no matter where you are, um, there's always a potential for a natural disaster, just a, a, a severe storm. Um, 27% afraid of war. We see that um, China, Iran concerns, uh, Russia is getting really close. They're afraid that they might uh, attack Ukraine. concerned about global warming. 33% worry about future pandemics. And I wonder wonder where that rated maybe five years ago. Were people concerned about pandemics before, or is that simply because of COVID? Um, And it has risen all the way up to a a third of us. Um, 34% see political instability as a great worry. 
And since the last election, it's easy to understand why, perhaps even more so the fact that there really hasn't been that much of a reunification, has there? There's still a great division in this country on political ideologies. Um, television shows, news casting shows are very much either one side or the other. And I don't see very many people trying to mend that gap yet. So maybe, maybe that is something that could be coming in the near future. I certainly would hope so. 36%, and this is the number one worry, and this was across all generations, financial instability or financial crises. So people are certainly worried about, it's not just inflation. We've had inflation um, quite a bit for the last six months, but this was carry on before that because of the cost of housing. The fact that you have to have a two household uh, um, income now in order to to purchase a home in many states, and then the cost of owning a home has just increased dramatically. So uh, that makes sense if we look at our our recent past. Why these are our biggest concerns, but um, hopefully we will be able to to make some some progress in the near future to to get past some of those things. So I thought that was interesting looking at that top list. Now, last time I was talking about the power or the importance of language. And uh, I ended with talking about words and how we, we have a, tried to cancel some words. And I wanted to, to piggyback on that a little bit and just looking at Words that can change or words that have different meanings over um, different time spans or from, from region to region. And there are words that we use in our country that in other countries mean something entirely different. And here, here are some of the some words that are interesting to look at. Um, you're, maybe you're familiar with a biscuit. In America, a biscuit is a, is a buttery, flaky, baked bread. But if you've ever been to England, it is a cookie. And so it's if you watch a cooking show, sometimes you'll see like the, the great British cooking show or baking competition where, you know, today is the biscuits day. And like they're not the buttery, flaky baked breads that we think of. It's actually a cookie. In the U.S., we say um, I'm pissed. Right. I'm pissed off. Well, in the U.K., to be pissed means you are drunk. So you could easily see how there could be a misunderstanding, right? Oh, I'm pissed. Oh, I'm sorry, you're angry. Oh, no, no, I'm not angry. I'm just drunk. Um, everybody is familiar with the, the fact that football in America is a very different sport than what football is in the rest of the world, right? We call what the rest of the world calls football. We call it soccer, Um a wagon in the U.S., right? A wooden vehicle typically pulled by horses. But I guess in Ireland, a wagon is a, a word to describe an unpleasant woman. So she's a wagon. I've never heard that before, but um, I guess if I'm talking to an Irish person and they say refer to a wagon, I will have to um, defer from context exactly what they're referring to. Um, grand in the U.S. is stately or impressive. In Ireland, it's, it means I'm fine, I'm all right, I am grand. This is a funny one. Kiss. In America, it's a physical expression. In Sweden, to kiss is to take a pee. So I guess that language certainly um, could be a barrier. Um, a gift in the U.S. is a present. In Germany, a gift is a poison. 
See, I never would have never would have thought of that one. How about mist in U.S. is a fog or a little bit of a drizzle? In Germany, a mist is the same as manure. And then finally, if something is handy in the U.S., we say that's something useful in Germany. A handy is a cell phone. So the reason I, I talk about this is because when we're talking about language, talking about the importance of interpreting language. And sometimes people say things that they don't mean. Sometimes it's intentional, but oftentimes it's a mistake or they think that they're saying one thing and it is being perceived by everybody else in a very different way. So we are being taught recently that we need to be very careful about what we say. But I want to also talk about the importance of perceiving what other people are trying to say, maybe not necessarily the words that they're using, especially if there's a language barrier of some kind, but also if someone is trying to communicate a belief or an expression, if there's a disconnect between what they're trying to say and how the rest of the world or you are perceiving it, then how do we help them to say it better? Or how do we take those steps to understand exactly what they were trying to say? But we see this on the news all the time. Um, a politician, um, an actor, a musician, someone says something and it can be taken out of context. And then you have this whole Twitter cascade Right, people railing against how could they possibly say that? Well, maybe they didn't mean it to come off the way they did, or maybe we are just misinterpreting, or maybe someone is taking and purposefully trying to twist what they said to create a um, some kind of a reaction. Uh, in politics, that works very, very well. We can just play over and over and over the number of mistakes that politicians make, and sometimes it ends careers, it ends candidacies. Um, so in America, here's some words I want you to think about. If something is wicked, what does that mean? Is it bad or good? Right? That depends if you're from Boston or if you're from other, some other part of the country. Sugar, is it a sweetener or is it give me some sugar, give me some love, give me some kissing? For you, is dressing for the turkey or is dressing for the salad? How about this? It's dope. Something is dope. Well, for much of the country, that is drugs a specific kind of drug, but if you're in the Northeast, it is actually an ice cream topping, which I, I have not been exposed to that, but I will be sensitive to that. A pitcher, is it someone that plays baseball, throws a baseball, or is it something that you put lemonade in, right? So understanding our words and where our words come from and how we're intending them to mean it, they are very important. So perception, how we interpret, interpret stimuli such as people, things, or events. So before we can understand perception and um, make a very, very important point to anybody who's struggling, maybe with chronic pain, chronic illness, maybe with depression, um, whatever it may be, understanding perception is a very powerful tool to overcoming whatever it is that you are struggling with. So in our worlds. We have, each of you 
you are an individual and you have to somehow perceive the world and you have sensory perceptors or you have um, rods and cones in your eyes you have auditory perception ability you can feel on your skin touch and pain hot and cold type receptors when you eat food your taste buds there they can taste sweet and sour and um, salty you know, bitter so we have all these Per sensory perceptors that try to take in information from the world. Now, the, the truth is, if you try to take in all of the information that your body is sensing at any one time, it, you would have overload. It would be entirely impossible. The brain does not have enough glucose to process all of this, this sensation that it's perceiving. Um, I do a little object lesson with my classes is I will say, okay, close your eyes, tell me what you hear. And as they start listening, they start hearing all these different things that they hadn't noticed before. And it was typically like the fan is blowing inside of a classroom. You'll have, you know, constant air conditioner, heater, right? Or something tapping somewhere. Maybe it's someone doing yard work in the distance. And that sensory information was there all along but the question is, how come you didn't hear it or how come you didn't see it before? And the, the, the answer is simply because the brain has to make some very important educated decisions. So you have all of this sen sensory information coming into your brain. It goes into your, your short-term memory and it's actually before it enters the short-term memory, it decides what is important enough for me to pay attention to. And then in your short-term memory, your brain processes it. And then a lot of what's in your short-term memory just immediately decays and fades away. So it doesn't stay in your memory very long. But if it is considered important, important enough, it will go from your short-term memory into your working memory where you use it, you manipulate it, you process it. And then it goes into your long-term memory where it can be stored for future retrieval. So what I want you to understand is if you are walk into a room and you're asked what happened in that room, well, your answer is going to be entirely dependent upon the information that your brain actually first perceived, second decided was important, third actually took it into the working memory and used it and then finally was it actually stored into your long-term memory this is why eyewitness testimony is highly irregular and unfortunately i know the courts don't want you to think this but eyewitness testimony testimony is is very inaccurate you can have three people all view the same let's say it's a traffic accident and all three people will give you a very different accounting and here's, here's the important part. They are all correct. And, and at least from their perspective, none of them are lying. All of them are saying exactly what they saw. But what happens if what they saw actually wasn't the truth because of a perceptual error? So our perception is based upon our ability to take in information, choose what we actually pay attention to, and then our previous experiences are going to help us to interpret that information and determine if it's important or if it's not important. So 
I kind of teased at the end of the last show. Do you remember the blue and black or white and gold dress? Right? It was some years ago. It was the big thing. And I still, if I were to show it to a group um, of students, they would all automatically go, oh, I see this or I see that. And it's, it's an amazing object lesson because it's so real. Some of us see you know, blue and black, and some of us see white and gold, and, and we're in the exact same um, situation. We're looking at the exact same image, and still we see something different. Well, researcher, scientist told us not too long after that, that, it, well, it has to do with your rods and your cones, and how your rods and cones switch on or off, and the photograph is presented in just a way that it has a bluish tint. So it's pushing the edge of the perceptual boundaries of different kinds of, um, of cones. And so some of us look at it, and we discount um, the blue, and we see white and gold, or some of us discount the gold, and then we see blue or black. But the object lesson is very powerful, right? It's still relevant. If we both are looking at the exact same image and we both perceive something very different, then how much of the rest of the world is also very different? So you can have two people that view something and then they are totally at odds. And here is what's powerful. Remember, they are both Right. So why is this so important? Well, we have to understand that there are often multiple sides to an opinion and to a situation. It's based upon their perception. And I say that it's important for us to give people the benefit of the doubt, to say that person is making the best possible conclusion that they can based upon their perception, based upon their experience. And how powerful is this to understanding conflict resolution then? If two people are at odds, understanding the other person's point of view certainly makes it easier to accept or at least to understand where they are coming from. You must strive to ensure that you have all the data that is available and that your data is accurate. A perceptual set is when our brain falls into an old habit of trying to see something from only a certain point of view because that's the way we've always seen it. Or here's a good example, to use a tool. Let's say you need to loosen a screw and you search all over the place for um, a flathead screwdriver and you don't know where you put it. It's not in the toolbox. And so you spend a half hour looking for this tool when all the while you could have gone to your kitchen and you could have taken a butter knife and you could have used the butter knife and performed the exact same um, task. But the perceptual set said, I have a screw, I need a screwdriver, I can't find a screwdriver, therefore I can't move the screw. So our perceptual set failed us. So if we find ourselves falling into the same old habits of thinking, we're going to have a really hard time seeing the world and seeing new information and understanding the world in any kind of new way. So this is where this is so important for you and why this is so powerful and why I am sharing this with you. Because I want, to, I want you to believe that no matter how bad things are, whatever it is that you're dealing with, you do have the power to reframe your perception. 
and you reframe your per perception by reframing your thoughts. So reframing says I'm taking one belief, um, one statement, and I'm turning it into something that is more useful or is more um, positive and therefore more powerful for me. So instead of saying, for example, I'm such a mess, you might reframe that and say, yes, sometimes I'm a mess, but I'm only human. I'm doing the best that I can possibly do right now. So you've taken a very negative um, self-perception and you've turned it into a reality and a truth, something that everybody else shares, and it helps relieve some of that stress of, I am a mess, it's all my fault. No, it's not all your fault. You are just human. Now let's take a look at what are some things that you might change that are helping you to have this belief that you are a mess. Maybe you are making some decisions that are contributing to that mess. Or maybe there are some things that are just entirely beyond your control and you're doing everything that you can to cope with that. Well, do you see what we've done? We have separated what is your doing and then what is the result of something that is beyond your control. So instead of saying, I am a mess and being negative, Saying I'm only human actually opens up your ability to change your reality. How about this? I can't do this. Well, we can reframe that to say, I can do my best. So even if I am trying to achieve something and I know that it's impossible, I don't have to just give up. Because sometimes doing a poor job is better than not doing any job at all. Because you can say, I'm a failure, or you could say, I'm doing my best and I am still learning. Right? Thomas Edison, how many times did he try to find the filament for his light bulb and how many times did he fail? Right? Every time he failed, he just learned something that didn't work. And so he kept moving forward. We can say, why is this happening to me? Or we can say, what is this experience teaching me? Or this is too much to me can become, what do I need in order to cope with this? This isn't working can become, what can I change? So this is a, a personal empowerment. In psychology, we refer to this also as a locus of control. And we have an internal locus of control and we have an external locus of control. The internal locus of control is, is or let me rephrase, a locus of control is how you view the world. So are you saying my life's destiny is in my hands or is my life destiny in the hands of other? So your internal locus of control is someone saying, I have the power to shape my world. An external locus of control is saying something or someone else has the power, shapes my world, and there's nothing I can do about it. So Research has shown that people who have an internal locus of control, they tend to be more successful in life. They tend to deal with failure better because they don't blame things that are beyond their control. Because if you blame things constantly that are beyond your control, then you start falling into this trap of why bother? Why even try? But if you have an internal locus of control, you might say, well, 
I failed that test or I didn't get that promotion. Well, instead of blaming the teacher or blaming your boss or if you're an athlete and you missed the big, big shot and saying, well, the field conditions were horrible or the ref was just unfair, a person with an internal locus, a locus of control says, well, what can I do to do better next time? Yes, the teacher is hard, but I also didn't study as, as much as I could. Yes, the refs were a little unfair. They made some bad calls, but I still had the ability to take that shot, and I missed it. Why did I miss it? What do I need to do to practice so I can make it next time? My boss just doesn't like me because, well, what am I possibly doing that might give my boss that perception about me? And how can I change my boss's perception? Am I doing the best job that I can possibly do? Right? Am I being friendly? Am I doing things on time? And so the internal locus of control turns inward and it, it helps us to not blame other people. You have the power to perceive the world in a way that is very beautiful. Oscar Wilde, I think, said it, said it best. He says, we are all in the gutter, but some of us are looking at the stars. So no matter how bad it gets, there is that silver lining. Your perception can change where you are and how you are perceiving your world at that moment. Helen Keller, right, blind, deaf, and she learned to speak. She learned she became a, a very um, powerful author. And she says, although the world is full of suffering, it is also full of overcoming it. So I don't know what you are experiencing. I don't know what you've been through, but I do guarantee you one thing. You do have the power to change your perception and developing an internal locus of control and taking a positive view, reframing your thoughts into ways that are beneficial and helpful, it will only make things better, right? You might not be able to get out of the gutter very quickly, but I guarantee you looking at those beautiful stars is a much better option than feeling sorry, than withering in the pain, than feeling like there absolutely is no hope. And I tell you what, there are a lot of people that are stuck in the gutter with you. And so we'll talk in the future about how we can come together and together we can look at the stars. I am Dr. JC Burnham, and this is the Out of the Deep End podcast. Have a blessed day.